You are listening to the Innovators Behind Disruption, a podcast series brought to you by Evolve ETFs. The world is evolving. Your investments should too. Hi there, this is Raj Lala, and I am joined by Andreas Rincon as well as James Seifert. Uh, Andreas is a director of equity ETFs and derivative strategy at TD Securities. He also advises institutional and wealth investors on ETF uh, and option strategies and also publishes a broad array of ETF and derivative publications. Uh, James is a research analyst with Bloomberg Intelligence. He's focused on the research of the broader asset management industry, uh, predominantly in the U.S., with specialized expertise in the coverage of ETFs, mutual funds, as well as hedge funds. James and Andreas, thanks very much for joining me. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having me. So let's. the focus of this podcast is really to talk about a, a mid, mid-year review, uh, even though we're a little bit past uh, mid-year. I think it would be great to kind of get perspectives from both of you on either side of the border. Uh, and maybe what we could do is start, uh, Andreas, uh, give, give a quick overview of the 2019 uh Canadian ETF landscape, and then, James, it would be great if you could do the same for the U.S. Sure. Sure. Uh, to kick it off. So, in Canada, the way we look at it is that uh, ETFs have been the shining light in the asset management industry. Over the last uh, year or so, uh, ETFs have first sold mutual funds in, um, that we've seen for a while, and they continue to do this this year. In terms of the Canadian ETF industry, we're now hovering around $185 billion in assets under management. We have about, call it, 872 ETFs listed now. And so far this year, we've seen about 77 new ETFs listed. Half of these have been liquid alt ETFs, and uh, we also have five new providers. In terms of, call it, AUM growth, Canadian ETFs have grown by about $29 billion year to date. I mean, a good chunk of that, it is performance, the market has recovered quite a bit, but uh, flows have also been quite strong at about $12.6 billion year to date. And if you compare that to last year, we were calling that $10 billion uh, in the same period. So pretty, pretty strong flows here. It comes When it comes to the flows specifically, a, a majority of the flows have actually come from fixed income ETFs. Call it 50% of the flows from fixed income ETFs and only 39 from equity ETFs. The most popular uh, fixed income ETFs that we've seen so far have been the aggregate bond ETFs and the ultra short or cash management ETFs have also been very, very popular with uh, with advisors. Another um, area in fixed income space that has been very popular has been the uh, the long government bond ETFs. In terms of uh, equities, really broad market ETFs have seen the larger chunk of the flows, but defensive strategies such as low volume quality have also seen quite a bit of flows. And last but not least, where we've seen a big push over the last six months and over really the last year is uh, asset allocation ETFs, which have gathered quite a bit of momentum and quite a bit of, uh, of AUM. That's it uh, in summary for Canada. Thanks, Andreas. Over to you, James. Yeah, so um, on the U.S. ETF side, one of the, the one big thing to note is that assets have crossed the $4 trillion mark. So that's a, that's a big thing to, to be taken note of. Um, the other thing is the, the one thing that we wrote about a couple of times is the fact that for the first six months of 2019, the fixed income ETFs took in more money than equity ETFs. 
And that's something that hasn't happened since 2016, and this is on a big scale. So we're looking at fixed income ETFs that took in roughly $74 billion, um, and equity ETFs took in $41 billion. Now, I know this is supposed to be focused on the first half. The other thing to note is that since the Fed in early June basically said, announced that they were likely going to be cutting rates, equity ETFs have taken in the most money in the in June, June July than they ever have in history, over $85 billion. So um, we're talking a lot of money has come in in just a short period of time. Um, the other thing to talk about here is that uh, similar as in the in Canada, we've seen ETFs have been big. Um, there's been a lot of asset growth and there's a lot of increased interest from both investors and issuers launching new ETFs. Um, another theme that we're following this year is that uh, there's been a little bit more uh, closures than typical, so we're at the highest rate of closures, but we're also at a pretty high clip of launches, which we didn't see happening, honestly. Um, but that just goes to show you that the, the industry is more is maturing. Uh, we've seen more closures this year, and it's just not necessarily a bad thing, but it means issuers are willing to close and give up on things that, that haven't worked. Um, and that's pretty much it from the high level on the U.S. side. Thanks for that. Um, on the fixed income, let's talk about active versus passive. Uh, do you have any perspective Andreas, in terms of the amount of flows uh, into either side, and then I will I'll pass it over to James as well to talk about the U.S. Yeah, I mean, I'll say that a big chunk of the flows have been in active fixed income uh, strategies. Uh, as you know, in Canada, you're allowed to um, to have non um, non transparent ETFs, and and that has led to quite a bit of the growth in both launches and also flows into these ETFs. So what we've seen here is basically the, the, the move of the mutual fund industry into ETFs, and we've seen quite a bit of flows into these specific products. So what, what we're looking or we're seeing is a lot of the advisors um, preferring to give away that part of their mandate to a lot of the active managers. So we've seen a lot of flows there, for sure. In terms of uh, tying back to what James was saying, um, if you look at last year, uh, equity ETFs outsold um, fixed income ETFs by two to one, let's say. This year, as I mentioned, it's um, not the case. Fixed income ETFs have outsold uh, equity ETFs. So it's a very different landscape that we're seeing uh, this year, and active fixed income has been a big part of that. So I know, James, in the U.S., um, active uh, hasn't caught on as much as it has in Canada. Like right now in Canada, about 20% of uh, of Canadian ETF assets are in uh, what we would typically define as actively managed strategies. Uh, and I think to my knowledge, it's maybe maybe 1% to 2% of total assets in the U.S. Uh, any commentaries? Are you starting? And I know obviously some organizations have gotten exemptions uh, from a transparency perspective, but are you starting to see actively managed ETFs, maybe even specifically within the fixed income space, starting to resonate within uh, the U.S. market? Yeah, so what I would say is that in the U.S. market, the, on the actively managed ETF side, most of it, almost all of it is in the fixed income side. So that's one area where we see advisors and investors, they kind of they view the, the fixed income asset manager, active manager, um, as a lot smarter than the equity active management. Um, I don't know why. We don't know. They think that, that the market is just a little more complex. But to put it some numbers, active ETFs roughly $83 billion in U.S. versus nearly four. Four trillion uh, passive ETFs across the board. Um, so that number really speaks to what's going on. And when we see this giant cyclical trend of um, equity mutual funds uh, 
active equity mutual funds just seeing outflows virtually every single month There's the, for the last few years that's been going on. And active fixed income ETFs and mutual funds have, well, active fixed income mutual funds for the most part have been able to buck that trend. Um, that, again, investors and advisors just seem to uh, think that actively managed fixed income products are more able to outperform the market. Part of that might have to do with um, the types of benchmarks that are being used. They're not as uh, advanced and built in to outperform, and they're easier to um, to get around. Um, so the, for all those reasons, we don't see uh, the active fixed income side as where we see growth. But as you mentioned, you were talking about regulations. Um, there's this proposal right now from active shares that will allow for some non-transparent ETFs to enter the space. Um, from our research, we're not seeing the demand on that is more coming from the issuer or the supply side. So there's a lot of demand and push from the supply side to launch these products to kind of take advantage of the ETF um, technology that allows for some efficiency, cost efficiencies, tax efficiencies, and all those things um, to launch their active strategies so they don't have to um, release their holdings every day. Um, But again, from our side, we don't see the investor really digging into that. So in the U.S., a lot, there's a lot more demand for cheap beta. Um, And then so a lot of the portfolios are going to more of this core cheap beta and satellite active or high cost or high active octane active on the satellite side of the portfolio. And and staying on that topic for a moment, um, is the cheap beta side, is a lot of that being driven by institutional uh, investors, or are you still seeing on the U.S. retail, it's still gra- they're still gravitating more to cheap beta strategies? So we, we you drop you drop your um, expense ratios in some of these by basis points in these types of just these S and P 500 ETFs, and we see it. it 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 correlates to billions in flows. So I mean, obviously, it's there's institutions involved, but it's also retail investors and advisors that are pushing this. We've done a lot of research, and basically, advisors are the ones really pushing people to lower their fees, more fiduciary responsibility, and those things. Um, so the answer is the combination of both. Everyone wants cheaper. Um, we're kind of getting to a point now where we're talking about basis point here or there, and to the average person, that's not going to make a big difference. But to an institution, that can be a big deal. When you're talking a basis point on billions versus a basis point on hundreds of thousands, there's a, there's a big difference in, in those cost efficiencies. Right. So last year in Canada was the first year in, I think, 10 years where ETF net sales uh, eclipsed mutual funds. Uh, Andres, do you know if we're on pace to do the same again uh, this year? Yeah, so we are, in fact. Uh, so the last month actually was a bit of an anomaly, well, anomaly when it comes to recent, in terms of uh, mutual funds uh, outselling ETFs, but we have been outperforming um, in terms of sales, mutual funds for the rest of the, for, for basically for the first half of the year. So we are already on track, as I mentioned, and, uh, and we believe that we'll, this will continue. As we're seeing in Canada, we're seeing the mutual fund industry coming to ETFs. So we're seeing all of the traditional mutual fund providers here locally in Canada start launching ETFs and put a lot of their efforts into ETFs. So we, we foresee uh, a lot more growth in ETFs than in mutual funds going forward, despite them having more assets and having obviously a larger shelf than ETFs currently. Right. And, and what about in the U.S., James? So, like I said, I, I kind of touched on this a little earlier. We, we see that there's a cyclical trend in the U.S. where actively managed equity funds, particularly U.S. 
domiciled equity funds or U.S. focused equity funds are just seeing outflows every month, no matter what's going on in the market. Um, active fixed income mutual funds, as I mentioned, are kind of maintaining the same, but ETFs are still outselling both of them. But if you look at this and you break it out into the index fund world, um, they, they're doing just as well as ETFs. Um, so on the fixed income and mutual fund side, not necessarily in the same numbers, but in, in the percentages and qualities uh, that are coming out, we see a lot of inflows going into that. So this is both a trend from high cost to low cost, and within that trend is a little bit of this trend from active to passive. So uh, I'll, I'll, I'll let you both uh, talk about this. How really is the advisor use different uh, between, uh, from an ETF perspective between Canada and the U.S.? And do you kind of see that changing over the, the course of the next year or so? What are the, what are the driving forces uh, w- within that? And maybe I'll let you uh, start, uh, Andreas. Well, I'm not sure if there are, there are m- many differences, if I'm honest. Um, at the end of the day, investors are, are, are looking to ETF for different reasons. In Canada specifically, um, sorry, for similar reasons, in Canada specifically, I look at it uh, as pre-pronged uh, approach to why advisors uh, use ETFs. So the first one is basically uh, to complement an existing uh, you know, fixed income or stock por- portfolio or balance portfolio, whatever it is. For example, by adding a PREF ETF to enhance that yield there. So that's one way we look at it, that the advisors are using it here. The other one is to add a diversified exposure to an area that's tougher to invest in. For example, a cover call ETF or an international ETF, which we see quite a bit from Canada. And the last is to construct a lower cost uh, portfolio for clients. What we're seeing a lot now is the traditional advisor having two portfolios, they'll have the traditional equity portfolio and they'll have an ETF portfolio that they'll offer to a smaller group of uh, clients or to a separate uh, group of clients. So those are the three main areas where we're seeing a lot of the growth in Canada when it comes to the use of, of the of ETFs. Okay. James? Yeah, so the, the one thing I notice is that in Canada, it's more common to be picking a manager. So there's, as we talked about already, the actively managed ETFs are a little more common. Um, on the U.S. side, it's, it's a lot of, as I, I kind of touched on this as well, it's a lot of that core satellite type of approach. And a lot of uh, advisors are using cheap beta ETFs across different asset classes to provide a diversified portfolio of ETFs at a very low cost. Um, and then, then playing on the edges with 10, 15%, say, of the portfolio in, in other higher cost products, such as active management uh, and thematic ETS. Um, for, the, for the most part, we've seen um, this, is, this is what flows are showing us, and with just anecdotally, this is also what we're hearing. Um, you have ETF portfolio strategists that have been big in the U.S., and they've actually been hit hard by the fact that a lot of issuers are now entering the space. So issuers are offering these models using their own ETFs. Um, they're, they're launching products that invest in their own ETFs, so ETFs of ETFs. And that, all those things are kind of going into the advisor space and pushing away um, some of the ETF managed portfolio strategists where they provide an allocation based on some risk metric, um, and they provide a portfolio simply of nothing but ETFs. And that's been growing for, for decades. And as a whole, it's growing. Um, Um, But now it's also growing because it's growing, as I said, as issuers are entering the advisory space. I would would say it's it's the same or similar here in Canada. We're seeing um, a lot of competition for the strategists internally in our wealth platform uh, from the providers themselves. And advisors are now getting uh, ETF models, let's say, or help on their models from a variety of places. 
Yeah, and the other thing I would add, which we kind of touched on as well, is like I said, there's this active shares proposal. We've had another proposal for non-transparent. It was something called next shares, and the assets just, they never came. It was uh, basically a flop. So we'll see how these do. There's a lot of, as I said, there's traditional asset managers that don't have ETFs that are looking to enter the quote-unquote ETF space using this product. So it could be, um, we could see a little bit more of the traditional old picking an asset manager on the ETF side than we have in the past, but that remains to be seen. Do you guys think that it's uh, it's become too crowded in uh, Canada and the U.S. Not just from a uh, not just from an issuer perspective, but also from a number of products. I mean, Andreas, you mentioned uh, before we have over 800 uh, ETFs now in Canada, and you know, 160, 170 billion in assets. Uh, that tells you that you know the average size is quite small, uh, so the sustainability is probably tough. But are you finding that it's becoming too crowded right now? And we'll start with, with you, Andres, and then go to the U.S. Yeah, I may be a bit of a contrarian in, with regards to this specific question. Uh, I, lean, I lean towards no. Okay. And let me, let me first give you the, the yes argument, and you, just because you mentioned it. Um, it just, there's just simply less real estate in Canada, as you know, right? Um, you know, in, in, I think in the U.S., the three largest ETF providers manage about 80% of ETF assets. In Canada, that number is closer to 77%, so give or take the same. But in Canada, with 39 providers that manage $185 billion, so the average is called $4.7 billion in assets per provider, which is not, it's not a huge number, right? Well, in the U.S., that number is closer to $34 billion in assets per provider. So it's simply uh, less real estate in Canada. But... One of the things that Canada has going for it is not transparent ETFs and the growth of uh, actively managed ETFs. What we're seeing with this is basically the mutual fund industry trans or move into ETFs. And as we know, there's a large group of mutual funds and hedge fund-like strategies in, in Canada already. Um, so I don't see why many of these strategies couldn't move to the ETF uh, side and, and see more growth in, in ETFs. So I believe that the ETF market is not necessarily too crowded there. There seems to be a lot of uh, a lot of providers, but we think that there might be more of the traditional mutual fund managers coming into the space and, and push product uh, through this channel. James, yeah, we at Bloomberg don't we we kind of completely agree with Andreas. We we do not think that's overcrowded in the slightest. Um, I mean, even if you just look at the mutual fund industry as a comparative thing, there's uh, there are way way more funds than there are ETFs. And if you break that down to the number of share classes that are available for each fund, and the same thing in Canada, which has even more share classes than the U.S., um, if you think that the ETF market is overcrowded, then you automatically are de facto saying that the mutual fund markets are also overcrowded. So that's one way that we, we like to look at it. And the other thing is uh, we have no problem with innovation. You've got to throw some spaghetti at the wall and see what sticks. And there's been a plenty of products that people said that they didn't understand or that investors weren't going to cling on to that have – basically been uh, home runs. Um, so this whole idea of like investors, people entering the market, it's it's just capitalism. It's people trying to to take a shot on something. And if it works out, it works out. Um, but we, yeah, we we don't believe it's overcrowded. And honestly, the, the more people that are entering the market, the more competition. It's better for investors in the long term. I agree. It offers more choice, for sure. Yes. Um, so let's talk about some of that spaghetti uh, and and how it relates to thematics, because there's obviously been, a, especially in the U.S., a lot of thematics uh, that have been launched. Are you starting to see, you know, growing amount of interest there in the U.S. as it relates to thematic-based ETFs? 
So thematics is one of the fastest growing areas in the U.S. if you like kind of look at, depending on how you slice this, but it's an area that's growing very quickly and it's with significant assets, and that's for good reason. Um, one thing is the issuers like it because they can charge higher fees. So I talked about, again, going back to core satellite thematic ETFs, they can charge a little bit more because you're giving a differentiated exposure, um, and it's unique, and investors are willing to pay up because it has what we call shiny object potential. If you get it at the right time, it can significantly outperform the broader market. So these things, and there's also a good story that goes along with them. And so traditionally, it's been mostly relegated to like smaller issuers, but BlackRock and other other bigger issuers are now starting to enter this game because they see the uh, the potential to offer uh, unique exposure, again, at a little higher fee or a much higher fee than some of these really cheap beta products. Yeah. But I, so Andreas in Canada, obviously you and I are both here uh, in Canada. I mean, my view has been that thematics haven't really caught on uh, just yet. I mean, it, our biggest thematic ETF in Canada is a cannabis ETF, and then you know after that it really drops off of a cliff uh, from there. What are you, what are your thoughts in terms of how much they've resonated and how you expect uh, that to grow or not grow here? Well, I think, uh, and James uh, highlighted this, uh, highlighted this to a degree, is there is a an advantage to to first comers, and on the marijuana space, we're obviously very strong in Canada, given that we were one of the first ones to, to launch uh, these products in Canada. But the other strategies have been so, somewhat um, exposed in the U.S. already, so it's harder to sometimes get um, interest from Canadian investors, given that they've been already looking at some of the U.S. Uh, products that, that exist. But I do think that Canadians do invest in, um, in thematic ETFs um, or thematic strategy in general. Uh, it just depends where they have been putting their money when it comes to some of these strategies. Um, so I do see growth. An area where we've seen quite a bit of growth, and once again, similar to what James said, we, we put ESC as a theme to a degree. And ESC is an area where there's been a lot of products lately, but we have seen, especially in the U.S., some growth in these products. Um, so it's one of those things where you maybe see some some growth in more beta-type products in the U.S. and eventually a lot of the active managers here uh, play a role later later down the line. But um, ESG strategy is where we, we see a lot of the, the new launches coming on in Canada too. So we think that um, there's going to be assets coming into these. And you can just see it from a management perspective. We get a lot of uh, corporate managers and we get a lot of um, uh, the institution is now asking about them, and I think uh, interest will continue to increase. So, James, do you know off the top of your head what would be the biggest thematic ETF in the U.S. right now? And I guess also um, any ballpark guess as to how many thematic ETFs would have a billion or more of assets? There's a decent amount of them. There's a, there's yeah. a significant amount of them that have more than a billion dollars in assets. Um, okay. So the robotics and AI ones, the, probably the robotics is, is near the biggest, but there's also a lot of tech and communication ETFs that we think of as thematic because of the GITS rebalance and different things along those lines. Um, sure. So there's the Internet Fund, which has almost $10 billion from First Trust on our side. Um, there's, there's the robotics funds, which are all over a billion. Um, there's a bunch of different cybersecurity is going to be over a billion, things yeah. like that. Um, and if you break it down to category, we have a few different categories. So if we look at the natural resources category for thematics, it's over $7 billion. Infrastructure is over $5 billion. Robotics and AI is $3 billion. Um, healthcare is $1.5 billion. 
then typically most of that is is marijuana. Um, so all these different things, they're they're we look at as a category. They're rather than one individual ETF, and they're all as I mentioned, it's a growing and it's a big part of the market at this point, especially if you slice it by the equity side. Got it. And I think also, and 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 uh, tell me if you guys agree. You know, on the thematic side. Uh, of uh, of ETF growth, it, uh, some of this will definitely be driven by the millennial uh, segment of the population as they start to inherit money, uh, because many of them, you know, want to invest in things where they take a social stance as it relates to ESG or express a view on a specific sector or subsector as well. Do you see that continuing to grow? So, I mean, as it relates to ESG, what we've seen on our end is that there's a lot more media and talk about ESG in the ETF space than there actually yeah. is assets going on. And they yeah. keep talking about these surveys with millennials and what you're mentioning, but what we're actually seeing is more so that it's being driven by institutions. There's been two ETFs launched in the ETF this, in the U.S. this year that were funded by a Danish pension fund um, with $700 billion each. So, most of the money in the ESG space is really coming from institutions. And we think a lot of that is because ESG is kind of a, a personal dilemma. It's a personal decision. So some of these one-size-fits-all ETFs might not be the best thing, and we see direct indexing as a potential down the line for real ESG potential in the asset management industry, which is where investors basically get to run a separately managed account and invest in their own views. Andreas, any thoughts? No, I, like as I mentioned, I, I, I would agree. Um, we have in, here in Canada too. We've seen corporate interest in, in ESG. Um, and we do see, in, especially in the, in the robo side, some interest for ESG strategies uh, for retail, uh, but that's still growing. I think education is a big part of it, and it's not a easy way of um, of looking at the space. And I actually wrote a report uh, or, or a note recently on this and how ESG is um, it's hard to to quantify. It's hard to know which rules are in ESG products. So. I think as the as this section matures, we're going to see hopefully more clarity and more interest in it from the retail side specifically. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I've had conversations with some institutional investors, and while they're 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 not necessarily saying that they're investing specifically in ESG funds, what they are saying oftentimes is that they that they they will initially screen a fund to make sure that it's ESG friendly before they even continue discussions. Uh, uh, in terms of looking at the product. So I think institutional investors, I agree with both of you, that are, they're, they're, they're starting to make that as one of their key criteria to, uh, to at a minimum, continue the dialogue with that uh, ETF issuer. Um, predictions. What are your investment theme predictions for the remainder of this year and into 2020? I'll start with you, James. Yeah, so the one prediction which I'm, I'm working on a piece right now is we have these products that are called buffer ETFs. They're, they're almost annuity-like ETFs, as I like to call them. They've garnered a billion dollars since they were first launched a year ago, and I think that that is going to continue to grow, and they're going to eventually work their way into competing with annuity sales, which is a multi-trillion dollar industry in the U.S. So I think this is another huge growth area. Um, we also think that multi-factor ETFs are going to be the biggest smart beta section of the, the ETF landscape. Um, kind of goes along with a lot of these active managers are basically packaging their ideas into multi-factor ETFs, and they're selling them as like uh, you're buying the name in that case. So that's another huge, huge initiative. 
Um, another thing to point out um, is fees. Fees are going to continue to go down. Um, looking in the U.S., the asset-weighted fee this year just dropped below 20 basis points. And if we look at the flow-weighted fee or where all the new money is going, it's actually at around 10 basis points. So people keep trying to talk about um, the fee rate, fee war might be over, but it, the flows and all these numbers are saying that it's not over and it's not ending anytime soon. And numbers look similar in Canada. Um, 32 basis points for the asset-weighted expense ratio, uh, 19 basis points for the flow-weighted expense ratio. So we can see that continue to drop through 2020. Great. Andres? I'm actually going to disagree to a degree. Um, when it comes to asset-weighted, yes, uh, you, you can say that fees have dropped a little bit. But if you look at the listings of the last uh, six to seven months, the average um, fee is about 50 basis points. And that's, once again, because active management has become uh, or is becoming so dominant here in Canada. And most of the launches these days that we're seeing is discretionarily managed um, ETF. So I think that we might see a, um, although you, you do have the, the the large providers here which will launch very low fee products, we, I still think that on a, no asset weighted basis, you're going to see um, the fees uh, stay flat, basically. When it comes to predictions themselves, um, I think fixed income will continue to be a big thing. Uh, every every interest that we have from advisors on fixed income, uh, fixed income is a big part of the, of the portfolio, and they're not sure what to do with them to a degree, so and fixed and ETFs is an easy solution for them. Um, Raj, you'll like this, but I think uh, here on the desk, we think that esports will become mainstream. Um, and it's actually something that's uh, fairly positive for, for a couple of things on your side. Um, and last but not least, I think an area of huge growth in Canada, which we've already seen, is asset allocation ETFs. Um, this yeah. year, we've seen a lot of the providers in Canada uh, complete their asset allocation lineup. And, and Vanguard was the first one to here in Canada to to complete it and market it. And now we have many other providers going that way. And I think that's an area where we're seeing a lot of money going in. And this is not just um, straight out of uh, advisors. This is also from direct from direct uh, investing that we're seeing a lot of money going to these ETFs. So I think this is probably going to be one of the fastest growing areas. Are asset allocation ETFs uh, resonating in the U.S., James? Not at all. Um, yeah. There's a bunch of them out there. Some of them are pretty good. Like we do our research on them, and we we actually like some of them. But the problem is, a lot of the ETF assets in the U.S. are um, sent by, uh, they're delivered by advisors. And if you're an advisor and you you hire an advisor and, and that advisor puts you in one ETF that gives you a full asset allocation strategy, I mean, what's what's the like that's you're not providing any value at that point, so it's just it's not selling here. Um, we have roughly just under 13 billion in assets in mixed allocation or asset allocation ETFs here in the U.S. Um, some active, some passive, uh, and they're they're just not resonating. While they they are getting assets, they're mostly from individual investors that are using them in their own portfolios. Um, whereas a lot of these assets are being advisors are deciding where they go, and it's just not it's not a cost-effective situation for an advisor to put one client in one fund. Um, so we think that's why they're not selling here. And, and, and I would agree with James. I, I, don't, I don't see advisors using them in, in all of their portfolios. They would generally put them more into the smaller accounts um, just to fill the gap, basically, but also heavily into retail. Uh, so mom and pop uh, yeah. wanting to get some exposure, this has become very, very popular. 
I completely agree with him about the fees. The, the newer ETFs that are launching are going to be a higher fee. The problem is they're just not going to get the same amount of assets. So it goes back to that core satellite approach. If we looked at just an average fee, I think that's going to stay the same or possibly go up with new ETFs that launch. Um, but the asset-weighted fee is going to continue to drop. Great. Uh, close off with your favorite ticker, James. So I'm going to probably have a little recency bias. We just had um, a marijuana ETF ticker launch from Cambria, <laughs> uh, Toke. Um, so no, no, Tiolo is a close second, but Toke is, I, I, it's a, it's a verb and an ad, you, there's all these different ways you can use it. So, uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of that ticker. And honestly, Canada was the first one to launch the marijuana ETS and they're the leaders in those spaces. But, uh, yeah, Toke is my favorite ticker. I liked that one in the U.S. Um, I think it was an agriculture ETF. I don't know who was the issuer, but the ticker was Moo. Yes, exactly. That's another verb. That's a great one. What about you, Andreas? That, that's, a, that's a Van Eck one, just to be precise. Okay. <laughs> got it. Got it. Um, well, being that we're in Canada, I'm going to stick to Canada. In Canada, as you know, the providers are pretty lame when it comes to tickers. Um, except so, except they've all. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, I like Cyber and Hero. I actually like Hero quite a bit. I think it's a great name. Um, for this space, and I did mention that esports, you know, will become mainstream. There's a lot of uh, innovation disruption in that role, so I think there's a lot that's going to happen still. And I think here is a great name. I agree with you, guys. Thank you very much for your time today. Really appreciate it. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Evolve ETFs podcast. If you like this podcast, please like this post. Subscribe to this channel by clicking on the subscribe button. Ensure to sign up for our newsletter by visiting our website, EvolveETFs.com. You have been listening to the Innovators Behind Disruption, a podcast series brought to you by Evolve ETFs. Remain educated. Be informed. Sign up for our newsletter and learn more at EvolveETFs.com.